Hey everybody, welcome to the You Were Born for This podcast with Father John Ricardo. I'm your host, Father John. I'm the executive director at Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming the church and making our way through Advent as usual. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Mary. How are you guys doing? Hey, it's great to be with you guys today. <laughs> yeah, kind of mellow good. over there. <laughs> I know better. You've been like pumping in yeah. hot chocolate and coffee all morning. We've been laughing a lot, actually, trying to, trying to get rid of this one. We have been. No laughing matter, though. What's it our topic not. today, bro? <laughs> yeah, so, so it is no laughing matter, seriously. We're talking about examples of courage and charity and uh, speaking truth to power and then what we can do about it. None um, of those things seem relevant, quite frankly. Courage, charity, truth to power. What we? Oh, no, actually, they're pretty relevant, aren't they're they? They're extremely relevant. Yeah, absolutely. We, 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 we need people who are willing to speak the truth right now in a big way. Do we ever. All right, let's pray in. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Father, in a very special way in this Feast of St. Ambrose, this tremendously heroic and courageous shepherd of the past, we ask his intercession for all of our leaders, but most especially for the leaders in the church, that those who have been chosen to be successors of the apostles might be filled with the gift of courage and charity and wisdom so that they might lead and govern your flock as you desire. And so that those who have yet to encounter Jesus would come to know him. All these things we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name Amen. Of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Yeah, so Father John, we've been talking about this actually a few days this week, and we, I mean, you graciously pointed out, as you point out many feast days, that Monday when this episode is getting released, it's the Feast of St. Ambrose. And so you're, I know you want to open up with the story about him and the story about uh, Cardinal O'Connor, and just for a, a little disclaimer for our listeners: some of this, some of this, this, this topic today is going to be a little more technical. And if you're anything like me, my nickname here is Glaze, because when <laughs> it comes to details and technicalities, I can glaze over. Uh, we just want to say that to you right now: like, it, when it comes to clear teaching, sometimes you have to get technical so that you can understand what's right, what's wrong, and and what and what um, what the truth is. And so. I just to encourage anyone who is like a glaze just to just to tune in on this. Yeah, no, I appreciate hearing that. And I actually don't think it's technical. I think it's more historical. And then uh, anytime you want to try to understand what am I supposed to do, you want to get precise. And so uh, we want to try to make uh, precise comments, uh, most particularly with regards to the reception of the Eucharist. That's really what the topic has to do with, right, and, uh, yeah. and of our need. So... So for weeks now, we've been talking about this. Uh, I've just been personally led, and I've been trying to encourage others um, to call upon the intercession of St. Ambrose, who most of us probably don't even know who he was, but it is his feast on December 7th, the, the day that this episode's getting released, um, in a particular way for our bishops. So some of you might know Ambrose was the bishop of Milan who was responsible in large part for the conversion of Augustine. So St. Augustine has a mom, St. Monica, who like uh, is responsible for tilling the soil, if you will. But it's often said, you know, for behind every conversion, you need not only a Monica, you need an Ambrose. When Augustine encountered Ambrose and heard him preach, it was instrumental in Augustine's conversion. But that's really not what we're talking about at all. It's just to give you a, a little bit of a historical context. So Ambrose is the Bishop of Milan in the uh, late, mid to late fourth century. And the incident that's really relevant for us right now is something that 
again, most of us probably don't know much about, if anything. In the year 390, Ambrose had a confrontation with the emperor, whose name was Theodosius, who's a significant man uh, for Christians because it's Theodosius who makes um, Christianity uh, the state religion of the Roman Empire. Constantine, we might remember, uh, earlier in that same century had made Christianity legal. But Theodosius makes it the, uh, the state religion. So Christianity goes in a remarkable short period of time mm. from an, an illegal superstition to the official religion of the Roman Empire. So Theodosius is a, is a Christian. He's identified as Catholic. He's done tremendous good for the church. And that's just worth our knowing, Okay which makes what Ambrose does even more courageous and gutsy and charitable, which is uh, at the heart of what he does. So in 390, uh, there was an event that took place in Thessalonica, that place where St. Paul writes a couple of his letters in the New Testament, right? And some things happened, and there was an uproar, and um, one of the, uh, the governor of that area was killed, and Theodosius, the emperor, in a fit of rage, enacts vengeance upon that community for the, the murder of the governor. And so he slaughtered 7,000 people. And Ambrose hears about it. And so this is how it's told in a book called The, the Big Picture by a guy named Brian Harris. He says, Ambrose, the bishop of Milan, was appalled at this indiscriminate slaughter and in the name of the church called on Theodosius to repent. Initially, Theodosius refused, and consequently, Ambrose would not give him communion. Now, that's no small thing, right? So uh, it, the, the beauty of the story is Theodosius goes on to repent, and he does get accepted back into the church, but he's excommunicated by Ambrose, who in, uh, up until this point, no bishop had ever confronted an emperor like this. Thus the expression you used earlier of speaking truth to power. Nobody had ever done this before. To, to directly oppose the emperor, that's a death sentence. Ambrose musters up the courage out of love for his brother to say what you've done in slaughtering those 7,000 people, that bars you from communion. Mm -hmm. And as your brother and your shepherd, I need you to know that, and I'm calling on you to repent and to call upon God's mercy. I'm not condemning you. I'm calling you out of love, out of concern, to invoke God's mercy and to publicly repent. And then the sacrament's there for you. That's what Ambrose uh, did back in 390. Huge moment in the history both of the church and of the world. Second quick story of, of another bishop doing something um, related but, uh, but distinct. 1998, some of us who are old enough, we might remember uh, President Clinton at the time was in South Africa. And um, Clinton was not a Catholic, but he was uh, attending a mass and both him and uh, the First Lady were invited to come to communion. That caused a fair amount of head-scratching amongst people since uh, Clinton wasn't Catholic and 
Uh, it's questionable whether or not he was um, in a place where he should have been coming up forward for communion, even if he was. So on Palm Sunday of 1998, Cardinal O'Connor, who some of us might remember, uh, who was the Cardinal Archbishop of New York, in St. Patrick's Cathedral, on that day, entering into the holiest days of the church year, gave a homily to address the confusion. And it's a spectacular homily. This is, this is part of what he said. He says, with a certain sadness, I wish to read a statement about a recent widely publicized event in South Africa. I am fully conscious, of course, that today is Palm Sunday. I read this statement not despite the fact that it is Palm Sunday, but in part precisely because it is Palm Sunday, and we begin the holiest week of the year. It was during this week that Jesus gave us the most precious gift that ever he could give us, himself, in the Holy Eucharist. No gift could be more sacred. This statement is in no way a political statement, nor is it a questioning of anyone's character or goodwill. It is a statement of a bishop required to teach what the church teaches, the pastor of a major archdiocese whose silence could otherwise mislead many faithful people. Many letters have been received from Catholics perplexed by the reports that a South African priest gave Holy Communion to the President of the United States and his wife. Purportedly, a number of other non-Catholics received as well. I share their perplexity. And then he goes on in this sermon on uh, Palm Sunday to explain the teaching of the church to his faithful, mindful of the fact that he, as a successor of the apostles, entrusted with the task of governing the church, among other things, and of uh, helping to um, correct uh, what could potentially be er erroneous or mistaken or confused thinking, he used that platform as an opportunity to do that. Now, why, Nick and Mary, might we bring up St. Ambrose and Cardinal O'Connor? Okay, so the reason this is, this is so pertinent, these stories, uh, is in light of what's going on right now that's causing confusion around this very issue of receiving communion. And so what's happened is um, Cardinal Archbishop Gregory in Washington, D.C., has made public comments about his willingness to continue the practice of giving President-elect Joe Biden, a Catholic, communion. When you say practice, so that's because uh, that refers to the fact that when he was vice president, he was receiving communion too. That's, that's correct. Uh, yeah. So he so so he's been receiving communion just just to make as a public official. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Good. And so the reason the reason this is this is uh, such an issue, objectively speaking, is because Joe Biden, being Catholic, is very vocal about his stance on abortion. And so it's, our, it's, our, it's our, our goal right now is just to talk about this in an objective manner, not to, not to judge or indict someone, but to say the church is very clear about her teachings on this, and we want to bring clarity to that. 
Yeah, we want to bring clarity to it. And, and as you say, bro, I appreciate the way you just said that. Like, this is not a, it, in any way meant to be a condemnation, certainly of the Cardinal Archbishop or the President. It's rather to look at examples from people like Ambrose and O'Connor to say, wait a minute, um, we have to get out of the lens that the world uses to say, hey, if I say something to you, it must mean I'm condemning you or I'm intolerant or I'm, I'm judgmental or I'm harsh. When in fact, you know, the story of the Gospels and the story of church history is, no, to speak to somebody when they're in error, it's actually an act of charity, right? And that's what Ambrose did. Ambrose, out of love, spoke to Theodosius, and he won him back. O'Connor, out of love, spoke to an issue that had to have been very difficult to speak to on Palm Sunday. Uh, but he did it out of love. And so the church speaks. Love cares, right? I mean, we're so used to thinking love means, well, you just don't say anything. Love's a sappy feeling. Love's a Hallmark card. <laughs> you guys are parents, right? I mean, love cares. It intervenes. It, it moves. It acts. It says something. It does something. It and that's what something. love does. And love wills the good of another. Right. Well, we don't. We don't even. We don't even come close to understanding that. At least not in our culture. Right. And as a mom and a dad, you guys know that as you're raising your kids and you say things to them and you form them and you teach them, you have to say things to children. I mean, like uh, I forget who it is who said it, but you know, like raising children's like civilizing barbarians, right? <laughs> so there's a lot of work you got to do to form them, right? And but you do that. You could do that, I suppose, out of hatred. But you do that out of love, and that's what the church. Um, needs right now uh, from her leaders, and, and oftentimes receives from her leaders. Let's, let's be clear. But let's let's talk for a moment. Like, where does this come from? Like, what's the big deal about going to communion, and uh, mm -hmm. and whatnot? Right. So, a passage which uh, tragically uh, maybe isn't as known as it should be from the the New Testament, First Corinthians chapter eleven. Uh, got your Bible? Flip it open. If not, open it up later tonight and pray with this. Here's what Saint Paul says. After he talks about how he received from the Lord, this is actually the earliest account of the institution of the Eucharist because Paul's letters predate the writing of the Gospels. So he talks about how Jesus breaks bread and, and, uh, and then hands the cup. And then he goes on to say this. He says, this is in verse 27. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. I mean, the first time I read that, I kind of went, gulp. Like, I don't know how many times I went to communion in my life in an unworthy manner. You know, so let's like, let's, like acknowledge that right off the yep. bat. And then it, it gets worse. <laughs> that is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Whoa! Like, how come we never hear this, right? So the, 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 commun the, the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, this is the most extraordinary gift that the Lord has left us, because it is himself, right? I remember a, an evangelical woman saying to me one time, uh, Father, do you have a, a personal relationship with Jesus? And I looked at her, I said, well, I put his flesh in my mouth every morning and I drink his blood. I'm, I'm really not sure how much more personal it can get than that. <laughs> um, and she just looked at me like, I don't know what to do with that. Um, so the Eucharist is not a, is not a symbol. Huh? This is not a, 
some sort of mere remembrance. It's not a, a mere meal. This, this is the Lord hidden under the appearance of bread and wine. Mm-hmm. And Paul tells us right here, the Holy Spirit tells us through Paul, we need to be careful when we approach the Lord and make sure that we have discerned where we are before we approach. And so when, when you get to the catechism, huh, the, the church teaches, so what does this mean? It means very practically um, that you should not present yourself for communion if I'm conscious of grave sin, right? So, uh, and I should not receive communion without first receiving uh, sacramental confession if I'm conscious of mortal sin, so deadly sin, right? So mm-hmm. St. John in, in John's Gospel, or rather in First John, he talks about all sin is wrongdoing, but not all sin is deadly, right? So, so deadly sin, that's what mortal sin means, right? Deadly sin is, is sin which meets three conditions. It was gravely wrong, which means it's against the commandments and all that they entail, and Jesus amplifies them to be. Um, I have full knowledge and I have full consent. So if I'm conscious of having done something gravely wrong against the commandments, and I knew it, and I freely did it, no matter who I am, I shouldn't go to communion. Mm-hmm. Now let's bring that back to the context of the situation that you just spoke about. Yeah. To be clear, Archbishop, the Cardinal Archbishop Gregory and Joe Biden. Yeah, so uh, Ambrose rebukes Theodosius for the slaughter of 7,000 people, which was horrific, right? We've lost 60 million children. And counting. And counting like, because of abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Ab- abortion is, is not a religious matter. It's actually a matter of just thinking, right? Um, either all human beings are persons or only some are. Uh, this is clearly, I mean, we talk about, like, follow the science right now. Well, what's the science say about what's growing in a woman's womb? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's its own organism. It's got its own DNA. It just needs nutrients and an environment. That's all it needs, just like, oh, by the way, you and me, right? And it's, it's one thing to, to have a view about this. It's another thing to publicly be on record as saying, I am in favor of this, and to use my authority to actually promote it and make it more widespread and to call it a good. That's the issue, right? So again, this isn't to condemn uh, President-elect Biden. It's rather just to talk about the issue. So so let's use a a, a simpler example, uh, which I, I can relate to. I skipped Mass on Sunday. I didn't this past week, but I did often when I was young. I skipped Mass. Uh, that's grave. It, it's a commandment. Honor the Lord's Day. I knew it. And like I didn't have pneumonia. I didn't have bubonic plague. I didn't have COVID. I just didn't want to go. So it was grave. I knew it was wrong. And I just freely stayed home so I could watch the NFL. That's deadly sin. I shouldn't go to communion. Now we're talking about being uh, very vocal about promoting the destruction of human life at its most innocent stage. How, how do I go to communion? And to what we're talking about with Ambrose and O'Connor, how do I not just 
say something about that. <laughs> if I'm going to follow the example of an Ambrose, if I'm a bishop, to say, brother, you're a baptized member of the body of Christ. You publicly claim that, which means you claim that Jesus is your Lord. To hold this view and to champion this view, uh, that's not in harmony with claiming Jesus is Lord. So out of love for you, I need to let you know that you, you should not present yourself to receive Jesus in the Eucharist based on the teaching of the scriptures until you have, just like Theodosius ended up doing, publicly repented. Now, would that take some courage to do? Absolutely. I got to imagine it would, <laughs> you know? Yeah, tons. Right? But that's why we're talking about this on the Feast of Ambrose, because Ambrose had the courage to do it. That's the call. That's the call, right? Yep. And so let's just talk, if we can. You guys were breaking open some thoughts here about who this would be good for. Like, so again, we're so used to seeing all this as through the lenses of intolerance, you know, judgmentalism, harshness, lack of charity, when in fact it's charity. And this is a calling to good, right? Right. So, so who could it possibly be good for? Well, so when you think about um, the principal teacher in any diocese is the bishop. Mm -hmm. So it's a good for the bishop. I mean, he's exercising mm. his role, that which he has promised to do for the diocese. Right, which is what? What's the promise? I will be faithful to hand on what the church teaches. Exactly. And it's good for the individual. So if I'm, so it's, in this context, it's good for President-elect Biden. Um, it's, 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 it's the bishop's responsibility to help form our conscience, to help us to think with the mind of the church. And so it's good for him. It's good for me. I want a well-formed conscience. And so that's what it means to love someone. That's the way that uh, willing the good of another gets acted out. And then it's good for the community. It's good for the church. Yeah, I, I was uh, that same uh, article that we were quoting from earlier by Brian Harris about the encounter between uh, Ambrose and Theodosius. Ambrose writes, he actually wrote a letter uh, about this. Huh. But Ambrose wrote of the event, addressing the question like, so, so why did Ambrose excommunicate the emperor? And Ambrose says this, when a priest does not talk to a sinner, then the sinner will die in his sin and the priest will be guilty because he failed to correct him. In short, Ambrose continues, I am a priest. The emperor was a sinner. I spoke to him as someone needing to find forgiveness. The tone is pastoral, as is the motivation. That's actually not the quote from Ambrose there. It's, uh, that's uh, the, the author uh, commenting on it. But he's talking, the, the emperor was a sinner. I spoke to him as someone needing forgiveness. The tone's pastoral, as is the motivation. That's what we need today. Yeah. We just want a pastoral tone and a pastoral motivation to say, brother, you're, you're actually, <laughs> we, we don't think this, we don't, want, we don't like to think this way. You're in danger of eating and drinking condemnation. What's that mean? Being eternally separated from God. Out of love for you. I don't want that to happen. Yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. I want you to be in heaven for all eternity with the Lord. And I want you to be someone who uses the authority, which, oh, by the way, God has entrusted to you, That's right. so as to promote the public good. And the public good can't be to kill children right. in, its most, in their most innocent 
stage of life. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's intrinsically evil. You know, there's another thought that comes to me. Um, we, were, we talk all the time about um, the church, where the church is. What's the honest assessment of the church? And we talk that there's two-thirds, I mean, two-thirds of people in our country, right? I think these are just national statistics, no longer believe in the real presence, meaning they no longer believe that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. What better way to teach and to promote to let, to let everybody know that the Eucharist really is the Lord? That's right. I mean, it's, it's the source and summit of the Christian life. Either it is or it isn't. That's right. And if it is, think of the people... That will, that will be won over to know, oh my gosh, there really must be something to the Eucharist if the bishop has made a point to say, no, 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 right? Because it wouldn't be an act of integrity for you to receive right now. Right. Because you, you're, you, don't, you don't profess what the church professes. And just kind of building on that too, Mary, I, I can tell you as a priest how inspiring it is when I see people come forward for communion and they cross their arms and they only ask for a blessing. Mm. I mean, I've been in parishes where where more than, say, 15, 20, 25 people come forward for communion with their hands crossed, acknowledging, I I desperately want the Lord, but I know I shouldn't receive him yet. I mean, that inspires me. me And it's a witness to the people around. Not that anybody should be watching people coming to communion, but it's a witness. It, It helps others go, huh, maybe I should examine my own life and not just go forward because, as O'Connor says in that homily in 1998, the Eucharist is not an extension of hospitality. That's not what this is. You know, I've always thought like the, the easiest way to explain why the church teaches what she does about the Eucharist, about why if I'm either not in grace or I'm not Catholic, I shouldn't receive. It's because we, we speak bodily as human beings, right? You know, I shake your hand. It means hello. I give you a high five. It means hooray. You know, we scored. Um, I give you a hug. It means affection. When I step up and I walk towards the altar, my body's saying something. And what it's saying is, everything you all believe, I believe. And I'm in grace. Mm. And those two things, they're either true or they're not. If they're not true, then what you're doing is a lie. And so out of love for you, I don't want you to lie. You know, this is either an act of integrity or it's not. And, And what's causing... The, the reason why, again, this is uh, an issue right now is it causes people to stumble. Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what scandal is. You know, we're used to hearing scandal as something like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe what somebody <laughs> did, you know. But, but that's not what scandal means. Scandal is something that causes someone to trip. And in the Catechism, in paragraph 2287, it says, anyone who uses the power at his disposal in such a way that it leads others to do wrong becomes guilty of scandal and responsible for the evil that he has directly or indirectly encouraged. And so, you know, again, without condemning uh, the Cardinal Archbishop or the President, they both potentially become occasions of scandal. Because if somebody who's a champion of abortion can go to communion, mm-hmm. who can't, right? And if, if someone doesn't see fit to correct that in charity pastorally, but directly, then I guess there's no big deal with me not coming. So that's why this is such an important issue right now and why we we feel like it's so important to talk about. And 
why we want to offer something encouraging and productive that we can do. Why don't you guys talk about what we can do? Yeah, maybe just as a segue into what we can do, um, as you both have been speaking, I'm thinking about how like cowardice breeds cowardice and courage breeds courage. And so it takes a lot of courage to do this. I mean, you know, this, this is the president-elect. But to not do it breeds confusion. And, it sh- and guys who are out there, priests in this di- that diocese, bishops around the country, it makes th- their hard work to try and uphold teaching just feel like it, got, it, got, it just took a shot in the back. Mm-hmm. But to do it, to be courageous and say, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to toe the line on the church's teaching here, and in charity and love, I'm going to call this out. Suddenly, it kind of stiffens the spines of people around the country to go, okay, we can do this. Okay, we can, we can stand for truth in love and call people on to holiness. And so the courage will br- could and would breed courage throughout the church. And, and so, so and, 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 you know, what, what often happens is we start thinking about the consequences in a moment like this. Like, oh, what could happen if I did this courageous act? Usually when we have courage, there's going to be blowback, you know, in some fashion. And that's usually what causes people not to be courageous. And so anyway, we can't be looking at the blowback or the potential pitfalls. Like, the, the call is to uphold the teachings of the church, to be courageous, and not worry about those consequences. And to love. Exactly. And that's the most important thing. It's yes. to love. To love God. That's by teaching the faith. Yep. And to love my neighbor. This is not an act of hatred. This is an act of charity. We should, we should anticipate. Why is it that we find it hard to believe that what happened with Ambrose and Theodosius couldn't happen again? Do we believe God's too weak to do that? Theodosius was the Roman emperor. He didn't, he didn't run a little tiny country. The empire in 390 was the known world. We're not talking about a continent. Mm. And that man, pierced by the Holy Spirit because of what Ambrose called him to do, repented. That was massive. Imagine what would happen if in our day, not just a leading authority, but the President of the United States repented. Like, why do we believe that can't happen? Yeah. I, I, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think we just don't have faith that mm-hmm. God can actually change hearts. This is what he does, right? Yeah, he changed mine. Yeah. If he can get me, he can get anybody, Amen. right? So what can we do? How can we help our, our, our bishops? Because, I, I mean, I'm the last guy to go, like, I can't fathom what's on these guys' plates. Like, I'm, again, that's why we're not condemning anybody, like, this cannot be an easy thing to do. So we want to help them, and we want to encourage our listeners to help them. What can we do, Mary? Yeah, I think there's a, a couple thoughts coming to my mind. You know, um, we have the communion of saints, and so even now for us to call on the intercession on behalf of our bishops, great men, great saints of God like St. Ambrose, you know, there's power in prayer. Um, we all have our special saints that we rely on for a whole set of things. And so I just think to pray on behalf of our bishops is what uh, would be a huge grace uh, for them. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking back to a, a, um, a priest that uh, you and I, Father John, recently met when we were in Philadelphia. Uh, he had um, just come to a parish, and he was telling the story of how in his first six months of his tenure there, 
He received two welcome notes from his parishioners and over 7,000 complaints. And he took those complaints to his bishop so he could see, you know, the people of God are not happy, like this is what we're struggling with. To your point, our priests carry so much every day, but I can't fathom the weight that our bishops carry. And maybe one of the things we do is we just kind of step out and um, write a note of encouragement, of love and support, and acknowledge, I know what you have on your plate, right? And I'm praying for you. How can I help you? I'm praying for you. But at the same time, also call him on to do the courageous thing because we're waiting for people to lead, and we have to lead ourselves too. I mean, it's just not on our bishops, but in a particular way because of the call on their life, just to let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. We need you to be courageous. Yeah, and so I can tell you as a pastor, right, when I got most, I, as you just mentioned, I can't fathom the amount of complaints a bishop gets versus, hey, just want to tell you how much we love you and we're praying for you and we really <laughs> love what you're doing. I'll bet that's like a, a million to one, you know? Um, when I get letters from people that say, hey, we are behind you, we're praying for courage, we're praying for strength, we want you to know we love the Lord, we love the church, um, if you have to make difficult calls, just know we're here for you. That, that you were talking about earlier, Nick, uh, that just helps someone get strong, you know, um, versus constantly hearing attacks, constantly being condemned, constantly be calling names. Don't call the bishop's names. Pray for him, as you said. And write to them, and write to them mm -hmm. in such a way that it's a letter that you would want to receive if right. you were leading, right. right? I mean, usually that means you're going to write a letter, and then you're going to throw that one out because that's not the one you, <laughs> that you would want to receive. And a great way to do this is like, you know, write it in front of a cross or a crucifix and just say, Lord, how is it that I can speak to my brother, my shepherd, in such a way as to encourage his heart? Mm -hmm. Give him courage, mm -hmm. give right? Him That's heart. what courage means, right? Heart. I want to give him courage because, as you said, we desperately need and want leaders right now, not flawless men. I'm not expecting a flawless man. I'm not a flawless man. We just want people to do the right thing for their good, for the good of the flock, for the good of the world, our country, and for the good of individuals that they may have to call out and to correct, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, um, another thing to do is to pray. So there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> in the polarity in the church right now, there's a lot of pockets of people starting to pray for a specific sort of circumstance or situation or, or thing that upset them. And um, sometimes it's, it comes across as like pitting Our Lady against a bishop <laughs> or, or, or Jesus against the local, you know, clergy member. Um, or a layperson, right? So we're praying for things like the Holy Spirit makes clear in the scriptures. We don't know how to pray as we right. ought so often. So why not start praying for your bishop to have wisdom and courage? Mm -hmm. Instead of praying that he would change his mind on X, let's say, okay, Lord, I don't, this is, this is a, you know, to use a line we all know, above my pay grade. Like I, I, just, I just can't sort all this mess out. Only yeah. you can. Yeah. But I know that I want all of our bishops and all of our priests and all of our lay faithful to be faithful, to teach clearly, to have wisdom. We've never been in a time that was post-Christian. No one's ever been here before. So as lay people, it's like, let's just pray for our bishops to have wisdom, that they'll be surrounded with people they can trust and, and, and lock arms with because they're alone. 
might be the loneliest job in the world. Mm-hmm. And then pray for them to have courage. Yeah, because it doesn't take a crystal ball to anticipate that the months ahead in the Catholic Church in the United States are going to create tremendous uh, challenges mm. for the leaders of the church. Mm. And they'll either be able to speak um, with courage and with wisdom and with charity, uh, or they'll cave. Yeah. And, and no man wants to cave. No man, I know, wants to cave. We want to do the right thing. But it's so hard to do the right thing when you feel like you're all alone. Mm. And when no matter what you do, it's wrong. So Ambrose, on this uh, great feast day as we're releasing this, tremendous patron. Call on his intercession in a very particular way for those things that we've been talking about. How about we actually expect God to work? Mm. Wouldn't that be something? Mm. You know, let's anticipate seeing a Theodosius moment in our own lifetimes and how extraordinary that would be. Let's make sure that we don't uh, fail to believe that God can do this. Let's examine our own lives, making sure that we too, when we approach the Eucharist, huh, that we do so with... Worthily. Uh, yeah, worthily. And then let's just be on guard against any kind of fear because don't be afraid. God is with you. And you were born for this.